Hey, Richard Gottlieb. Chris Byrne, How James you? John, John Ball. I know. Today. Right? It's our second annual roundup of the year with some of the leading lights of the toy industry. And uh, we're going to talk about what's been going on in this year, what we're looking at for next year. And this is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. We are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, the Toy Guy and Marketing and Media Agency, Chizcom. And we are so excited because this is always an incredible conversation with James Zahn of The Toy Book and John Balch of Toy World UK. Let's just start. What a year, right? (laughs) It's, it's a year. shame nothing. It's a shame nothing much has happened, really. I mean, it's going to be difficult to fill the time for the podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh! No uh, one is busy. Nobody's doing anything. Nobody. It, well, it seems like it's been busier than ever. I I don't know, but I mean, it's like I, I've lived on Zoom this year, but we've also been traveling around. All of us have been promoting toys in the toy industry on TV around the world and in our native countries. So it's it's been an exciting time. But but let's just start out with the with the thing that we're looking at the most, which is the whole supply chain. I know we've all been asked about that ad nauseum. Uh, James, why don't you start us off? What are you hearing now? What a year it's been and how the predictions have not necessarily panned out the way anybody could have planned. We started the year with all of these regional outages that we saw across the U.S. because, of course, we all know how the supply chain works and things get on the boat and they come and they don't have a spot. And then here in the U.S., we've had all of these labor issues with trucking and folks to stock the stores. And what I've seen, because um, some folks don't know, I live smack dab on the third coast outside of Chicago in the Midwest, and the stores near me have largely been stocked all year. There are some specific categories that have been out, but I could go out and do a full round of store checks and then talk to my team on the East Coast, and we've got people in New York and Connecticut up and down there. And they're finding empty shelves at the same chains on different items that I'm seeing outages for. There have been no no way to predict this with any type of precision. So we might have all the magic mixies here in Illinois. But in New York, (laughs) there are no magic mixies. People are flying uh, in. (laughs) That has been really confusing for consumers because of all of the mixed messaging that's out there that... You know, people are thinking, oh, Christmas, there's going to be no toys. And I think we can all agree there's plenty of toys. There are just things you may not be able to find, which happens every year. And it might be more troubling this year. But now as we sort of hit the home stretch, what I'm seeing personally, die cast is a problem everywhere. The basic mainline dollar Hot Wheels, Walmart and Target and Meyer do not have them. At the same time, Dollar General has been getting sidekick shippers all December. The Lego aisle, which Lego was not a problem because, of course, here in the U.S., a lot of it comes in from Mexico. Now Lego's wiped everywhere, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was full before. And then some of the things that had come late, like some of the electronic toys, because we talk about the chip shortages, they were light on things like the VTEC leapfrog type of stuff, but now it's starting to fill up Mm -hmm. and, and we're nearing that home stretch. So what a year. What's the view from the UK, John? We've been following your blog. If you don't follow John's blog, you're missing out. What are you seeing now in the UK? 
To be honest, the picture here is remarkably similar to the picture James just painted about the US. In fact, sort of, if we go back to the early autumn when, um, as a as a as a community, the toy industry decided it was going to sort of quite heavily publicise the fact that there were shortages. I think in the hope of getting consumers to buy early, I was a little concerned because it didn't strike me that that it made us sound desperately professional, if I'm honest. And and it's exactly as James said. The situation is sporadic. It's changeable the whole time. Something can be out one week and then the next week it can be fully stocked. And of course, consumers were going into stores expecting to see empty shelves and that's not what they saw. Yes, there were individual lines that would be dipping in, dipping out of stock, but as a whole, we are not short of toys. And ultimately, you know, as long as consumers are prepared to be a little bit flexible and if one thing's not in, they buy, you know, if one Barbie's not in, they buy a different Barbie. If one Lego set's not in, they buy a different Lego set. I, th- I think we've managed to cope quite well. I think there have been two unseen issues. Um, you know, there's the visibility issue in terms of stock, but the unseen issues are the ones that have really, I think, had a lasting effect on the toy industry. And one is profitability. It really, really has damaged a lot of suppliers' profitability this year. The increased container costs have had a massive impact on people's bottom line. Um, and the other thing is is the bandwidth it's taken up internally in toy companies. Normally, uh, the whole supply chain is just a facet of the business. It's a given that you know you, you send your orders to your factory, whether that be in China or Mexico or wherever else, and then it's made, it's shipped to you, you ship it to retailers, and you can focus on the tricky business of moving the product off the shelves, getting your marketing right, getting your promotions right. This year, so many toy companies have actually had to become logistics and supply chain experts, because if you don't get the basic element right, if there is no stock there, you can have the best marketing in the world, and it will make no difference. So I think we really have seen companies preoccupied to a great degree this year with the supply chain issues. Um, And sadly, um, although I think it's perhaps come down from its real peak earlier in the year, I think the inconsistency is going to continue into next year. You know, pricing is not going to return to pre pandemic levels. And we're definitely not going to see um, service levels resume um, possibly for at least a couple of years, according to everybody I've spoken to. So um, with more of this to come, but on the plus side, I think a lot of toy companies are much better positioned to deal with it because they've not abdicated responsibility this year. They've had to get hands on. They've probably understand more about the supply chain than they ever have before. So hopefully we're in a far better position to deal with the uh, the, out, the swings, slings and arrows of outrageous fortune next year. As it were, we love the Shakespeare reference. Richard, what are you thinking? Well, just this morning, I saw a um, survey that said roughly 75% of shoppers are saying they're finding what they're looking for. And so that, to both of your points, uh, it appears that inventory is there. And I think the other thing that came to mind as you were both talking was the opportunity cost that the toy companies are experiencing in terms of creativity. There has been so much preoccupation with getting goods to market. It makes you really wonder what we're going to see in terms of new product next year, just because management has been so caught up. Uh, the other piece I would just add is I'm interested in what you guys think. 
you know, Hasbro and Mattel, Lego, et cetera, they have deep, deep logistics departments. But there's an awful lot of small toy companies that were really left out of the supply chain, couldn't get goods, couldn't get goods on ships. And I'm wondering if what we're seeing is a lot of inventory in the stores from the big guys. But I wonder what what's happening to the smaller toy companies. Do you, either of you have any sense of that? Well, I'd like to jump in on your new product comment first before we go to the uh, small guys versus big guys debate. Um, on the new product front, there's one big advantage with new product. There's no price perception amongst consumers. And in a, in a period where container costs have gone through the roof and you've got other cost implications, it's hard sometimes if you've got a 1999 line, knowing that you've got to put it up to $25, $26. Um, and consumers think, well, hang on, that's been $20 forever. And they can notice, whereas with a brand new product, there's no price perception. You can introduce it and nobody's going to sort of push back and say, oh, hang on a second, that's that's risen steeply in price. So I actually think a lot of toy companies next year will look to introduce new product in order to get around the issues of price increases. In terms of small companies, you know, I agree with you on scale there's no question that the the larger companies have got the resource and probably the, the the capital to deal with it much easier. But I've also noticed here in the UK, some of the smaller players have been a bit more nimble, been a bit more flexible, been a little bit more proactive and hands-on. It's not always been easy and cost has been the, the, the big prohibitive factor that they can't overcome. But a lot of them have perhaps been a little bit more nimble in terms of how they approach the whole supply chain issue. And certainly here in the UK, I'm not sensing or getting any reads from MPD or any feedback from retailers. The small and medium-sized companies have been disproportionately disadvantaged. I kind of see this as an opportunity where we're in a business filled with very creative people and they figure out ways to mitigate all of these problems. And we've seen it where like, this is year four of some weird crisis, you know, Toys R Us closed. And then we had the tariff threats and then we had the pandemic and stores being closed. And this year it's a supply chain and every year, People find a way to work around these things. But what I think's happened this year in terms of like the big guys and the smaller guys is we really start to see who does a better job of running their company, just in general. There are people that you start to find, well, maybe they don't run their business quite as well as we thought they did or as the other guys are doing. And that sort of you know, works with like the different levers that can be pulled to adjust certain things. And that's why we've seen minimal price increases here with higher ones there. And when you look at the big guys in general, I think Mattel has probably done the most impressive job at keeping the shelves stocked and getting things out there. I think Hasbro was the most transparent on their pricing. And to John's point, that, that thing about jumping from a 1999 toy to a $25 toy. I don't know if this was intentional or not, but Hasbro sort of did a tiered price increase in that same 
range. And if you think about their six-inch action figures, for example, they have the Marvel Legends, they've got G.I. Joe Classified, they've got Star Wars The Black Series. Those were $19.99 for years. And then all of a sudden this year, they hit $22.99, and right now they're $24.99. So did they make that smaller jump in between to sort of lessen that. So it was a it was a $2, $3 increase instead of a 5 to $6 increase. I think that's particularly interesting. And then also as well, the the spot rates on containers have finally started to yep. drop. Yep. And I think that a part that probably got missed in the story this year too is that some merchandise was shipped under pre-existing contracts, so it didn't really cause that price increase that we thought. But that doesn't mean we're not going to see it in 2022. Right. So I think there's a lot of residual effects here that we don't fully understand. But I think, especially as we roll into Toy Fair season, we're going to find who has done a better job running their companies. Well, I think it's been really interesting. I've been talking to a lot of smaller toy stores, and one in particular, Kip's Toyland out in Los Angeles, which is LA's oldest toy store. And they were telling me about Ty. And Ty Warner actually flew his plane to China and loaded it up with plush to bring back. And so they have not been out of stock on Ty plush at all because of because he was able to do that. And that's part of how he's always supported the specialty in the smaller market as well. I have talked to sales reps who, who work with a lot of the uh, smaller companies. And it seems that the buyers really didn't know how to manage the container price increases. Many of them waited a long time to place orders in the hopes that the container prices were going to come down. And of course, as we all know, they didn't. So they either paid a lot more than they would have had to, or their product came in very late. So I, I think we're not really going to know until the dust is cleared after the end of the year. And by the way, uh, over the last week, I just checked. We got on the show today. Container prices are up 5% over last week. We ran a webinar last week, and we had a couple of experts in supply chain uh, speaking on it. And both agreed that prices would not touch the highs that they touched this year when we move into 2022, but both were absolutely adamant that there is no way container prices are tumbling back to where they were back in 2019. We only need to see further pandemic problems. If that happens again and we get more container ports shut, that will put push prices up again next year. But I think it's probably better to assume that prices are going to be slightly higher and it's and then if if they come down, it's a nice bonus rather than uh, assuming that we're going to tumble all the way back down to two or three thousand a container, which every single person I've spoken to in the supply chain, logistics, and shipping arena have all said to me, it's never going to happen. They were loss making deals. The shipping <clears throat> companies will not go back to those prices. Full stop. Which brings us to the the issue of inflation. And that's something that, that everybody's been talking about. It, it was in the U.S., the inflation was 6.2% in October. And people are thinking that's probably not the end of it. Richard, this is something you've been tracking with the toy intelligencer. Where, where are we coming down on inflation right now in the toy business? It looks like toy prices are up about 
20% from what I'm seeing and what folks in the industry tell me. And, and the data I'm seeing, a lot of this, of course, is driven by the container prices. It's driven by input. It's driven by scarcity. The good news in all of this is that demand is really high. And you wouldn't have this kind of demand if people weren't looking to buy product. Question is going to be next year. With all these people who decided they didn't want to work anymore, if they're going to figure out suddenly that, wow, oh, I need money to, to uh, eat and have a roof over my head. So, uh, and, and the government, you know, checks are not going out anymore. So uh, will people have the money to spend next year? And will the entire consumer population come out the same? I mean, people with higher incomes are going to do fine. But there's a lot of folks at the bottom who are paying a lot more for food and, and other things that are going to really struggle to find the money to to pay for the, the nice things. We have a similar picture in the UK. The latest inflation rate announced yesterday was 5%, which is the highest we've seen in the UK for decades. I agree 100% with Richard. The, the massive positive from this year is demand has been there all year. And one of the unknowns for next year is what's going to happen with disposable discretionary income. This year, I think a lot of parents have have paid more for toys or been happy to pay more on toys because they've not perhaps gone on holiday. International travel has been very difficult this year. And we've also seen uh, apparently basket spend up in the run up to Christmas because a lot of parents and grandparents felt that last Christmas was perhaps a bit subdued. So I think it is going to be interesting to watch where inflation goes um, and what impact it has, particularly on certain socioeconomic groups. Richard, you're 100% right there. It's obviously going to disproportionately affect some people. Richard touched on it a little bit with uh, the rising disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And this is something that I see on a regular basis because I still have two little girls here. We uh, you know, go through a lot of food in the house and the, the price at the grocery store is exceptionally high compared to where it used to be. And, you know, we're fortunate that that we can deal with that, but there's a lot of folks out there that cannot. And as it rises and it and the cost of, I mean, consumables, paper goods, food, all of that stuff that folks need is going up at such a rapid rate. I mean, maybe even beyond the normal rate of inflation that eventually that will start to eat into toys because uh, people are not going to be able to uh, afford both. What I think is interesting this year is that there hasn't been really any pushback at all on pricing for toys. I have not seen any, and not only in, in our space and in the media and everything, but I deal with a lot of parents just in our normal daily lives, and no one seems to be complaining about it. And that's great for the toy industry. But of course, as we know, thing, things ebb and flow. And uh, this is going to change. We're all riding a high right now. But that rug could be pulled out from under us at any time. So it, it's it's got to be something that's approached cautiously. I do want to shift gears, though, and start to look ahead because we're getting ready for Toy Fair season. And we know that the Dallas was canceled. I've heard people are not going to Nuremberg. I've already talked to two companies that are not showing in New York. What are you guys hearing about toy fairs? And, and what are you thinking as we as we move into 2022? 
This is the $6 million question, literally. Um, my phone, my WhatsApp, my email is going off every five minutes. Um, I actually joked with somebody today. I said, you, congratulations, you are the 1,000th caller to ask me the same <laughs> question today. Um, it's happening here I, it, yeah. right now yeah. while we're doing this. Yeah. And I know what it is. <laughs> I am only ever so slightly exaggerating for comic effect as well. No, look, the reality is trade shows are still hugely well thought of, particularly by retailers who find it extremely difficult to accurately assess product over Zoom or in in the digital realm. Yes, you can send them samples, etc. But speaking to my buyer contacts from around the world, they've all reinforced to me just how much they're looking forward to face-to-face presentations, actually getting hands-on and close up with the product again. So I think there is a tremendous will for the trade shows to go ahead. However, we've got to be mindful that we are still in the midst of a pandemic, a global pandemic, which is changing on a weekly, monthly, sometimes daily basis. And so anything I say, uh, we're recording this uh, podcast one day, I don't know how many days later it's going going to go out, everything could have changed by that point. Um, There's definitely a will for the events to happen. And I would say here in the UK that London Toy Fair, I think there's still a tremendous degree of optimism for that show, predominantly because it is a a largely domestic show. There is a belief that there is a good chance that that show will be able to go ahead at the end of January. Um, When we're looking at international shows, um, I think there there are bigger question marks to answer. And we're all waiting for answers because the one thing we need right now is clarity. It's not easy at the moment. Uh, International travel in particular, the regulations are changing quite quickly. Um, So everybody's looking for that degree of clarity and certainty. Hopefully it won't be long before we get it. Yeah, I saw this morning that that you guys in the UK have taken 11 countries off the list. And we're talking on December 15th because the rationale was, well, Omicron is already here. Absolutely. (laughs) Omicron is is spreading rapidly. There are some potential green shoots. We're all waiting to see more real-time data over the next couple of weeks. And I think there is a general will not to go back to complete lockdowns. And I think that there will always be people on the two extremes of the argument, but the majority of people here want to be able to go about their daily life as best they can with sensible restrictions. And we've had several trade shows here. We've had BLE, uh, the licensing show in London. Uh, We had a couple of other smaller shows the shows were successful. As long as there are not compelling pandemic-related arguments not to run the shows, I think if they can take place, you will get a tremendous reception and a tremendous atmosphere at next year's events because every one of the shows I've been to so far, people have just been so enthusiastic and so positive. Our crew attended the Astra Marketplace and Academy in August, which was just as the Delta variant began hitting. And the show was smaller. There were a lot of badges that were sold that uh, did not have bodies. The people just did not show up. But the folks that were there were genuinely excited to be there. 
a lot of product was sold. It was exciting to be back in action. I do think that looking forward to Toy Fair season 2022, I do worry a little bit about the major buyers. I think, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think that Amazon, Target, and Walmart essentially killed Toy Fair Dallas. Absolutely. And um, right now, as we're recording this today, I've been told that Walmart has not committed to Toy Fair New York as mm -hmm. of today. Amazon and Target say they're in. If all of those three or a combination of them don't show, I don't know that it would necessarily kill that show, but I think some exhibitors wouldn't go because they're going because they might not be able to you know, get in the door in Bentonville, but they will see them in New York. So I think that's a concern. I think it would be unfortunate because I, I'm really looking forward to seeing the expanded Javits Center. And then, of course, we've got these interesting things like, you know, Mattel's going to be in a different space. Hasbro's coming to Javits. MGA's moving out of Javits. Right. So you have all these weird things happening. And I, I think it'll be exciting. And I, I really do think we're crossing over into where we have to just realize we're going to be living with some version of this virus forever. Yeah. Um, hate to say it, I think that's the way it is. We're gonna have to learn to work with it, live with it, go on about things, but be as safe as we can. Because um, I fear that if Toy Fair New York specifically did not happen for a second year in a row, it's almost like the point of no return. There are a lot of people that just will not go back to it because we've already seen we can still do business right. without being there. It's not as fun. We do miss something, but product is still being bought. It's still being sold, record numbers. At the end of the day, a lot of the people funding all of our favorite companies, that's all they really care about is are we moving product? And some of the personal interaction that we all love isn't as important to those people as the bottom line. Probably a different take on that. Um, I'm hearing, I'm sure you are too, that retail buyers have moved up their orders into December and they're being mandated to get it done by January. For a lot of people, this is two, three months earlier than before. My feeling is that the shows, all the shows, need to reconsider the timing because if the buying is moving up that much earlier in the year, then it could be a little late for Toy Fair. There needs to be a hard look at moving from Dallas to L.A. There has to be a hard look at moving Toy Fair. Believe it or not, maybe November, December, where it would be in line with buying patterns. So I, I agree with you, James and John. And, and James, I agree with you that if, there's, that if there is some risk for the show, but the show can make itself something that it will be a have to attend if it moves itself up into the heart of the buying season. Two, two immediate concerns. One, um, December for retailers is surely the last time they would want to be out of the office because so much is happening at retail. Would they, I mean, in independence, there is no way they would leave their store in the, in the run up to Christmas because this is their, this is the time where they make the money that allows them to open for the rest of the year. So for me, December would be hugely problematic in terms of timing. Um, and the other question I would have, if you move it forward to November, you're asking retailers to make big calls before their 
festive season has, has even kicked into gear. They're making decisions for the following Christmas without having a shred of data to base it on. I don't see it. The reason the toy fairs are where they are, and I appreciate it's historical, is you want to get your Christmas data, you want to get your, your sort of holiday season data, then you want to go out and look at the new product and make your decisions. The question is, why have they moved their orders so far early? Is this because of the shipping challenges? In which case, it might only be a temporary thing when the shipping uh, situation returns to a semblance of normality come 2023. Or is there a specific reason why they've all decided get your buying done in December? For me, that feels just too early to be making big calls. Since we've only got a little bit more time, I do want to talk about something that that we've all been following the reemergence of Toys R Us. And Richard and I have talked about this at, at length. And and John, you just announced that they've made senior hires in the UK. What are you guys thinking? James, I'm going to start with you on this one. We've all followed this. I, I have written so much about this. I know you guys have too. <laughs> it, it was probably August, maybe September of this year that I first got word that they were tinkering in American Dream on this two-level store. And it was... Um, Around the same time, too, there was a story going around that we covered at Toy Book with um, the owners, WHP Global, were actually suing people that had moved into the closed uh, concept stores in Houston and Paramus, New Jersey, for reusing the abandoned fixtures, which were considered by the malls to be mall property at this point they can do whatever they want with them but they were obviously trying to protect those trademarks because they have this new two-story store opening um i think it's very exciting that there is something happening i like the fact that they are leaning it back a little bit more on the concept of having more selection I think that was a, a downside to those other stores they tried. They didn't have enough actual toys. Kids want to go in and see things piled sky high. They didn't have that. And of course, this is a 20,000 square foot footprint, so it's not going to be like the old big boxes. Bigger concern for this specific store, I don't know what the foot traffic is there. I know they're putting it very close to the other entertainment options in American Dream, like there's a DreamWorks water park, there's a Nickelodeon Universe theme park. Um, there's also a, uh, a Hasbro thing. Hasbro Game Room is opening in American Dream that's part of their collaboration with Kilburn Live, so they are putting in a lot of toyetic entertainment. Um, I just hope that there's enough foot traffic to make that store really have a splash. But at the same time, this is leading up to those 400 plus Toys R Us inside Macy's departments that are gonna open up next year. One piece of this puzzle, and actually as of this recording, I just emailed them about this yesterday morning and haven't heard back. I've heard that there's two buying teams at play here. That if you wanna, <laughs> if, if you wanna sell to the store in American Dream, that's one team, but if you want to sell to the ones in Macy's, that's Macy's buyers. I don't know if that's true or not, because I've just heard different stories from people that aren't Toys R Us. So that's interesting to me. I, I'm curious how that works out. But really, I mean, I'm rooting for them. They, yeah, they we went are too. through a lot of crap. I think that they have uh, sorted out some of the, the bad actors that were part of that organization. And I really hope that this works for them, because kids do still love to see the giraffe. And we saw that with the Thanksgiving Day Parade. 
they love Jeffrey. Yeah. Period. And even though he's been off the national radar now going on three, four years, they're excited about it. And kids need that. But at the same time, got to respect what the other players in the game are doing. Camp is doing some cool stuff. And there, there's other people kind of, you know, maybe simmering below the surface. So it's well, exciting. We look for we're really looking forward to it. We do hope that they are successful. John, what are you what are you seeing in the UK? You're not you don't have a, a comparable to the American Dream Mall. No, we don't. And also we uh the Toys R Us approach to the UK is going to be demonstrably different to the approach to the US. So just for those who aren't aware of how this is going to work, the company behind the Australian Toys R Us business have basically been given the franchise for running the UK operation. Now, that definitely came as a surprise to a lot of people here in the UK, if for no other reason than the um, the, the distance and the time between the two zones. Also, I think it's felt generally that there's a lot of difference between the UK and the Australian market. Um, it's obvious to see why they uh, the Australian team has targeted the UK. In Australia, Toys R Us is predominantly an online store. That is where it's made its play in the last 18 months to two years. Now, that's been aided by the fact that Australia has been in amongst one of the hardest lockdowns in the world. Most retail stores have stayed closed for the last 18 months. So obviously, online sales, digital sales have, have exploded in, in Australia. Toys R Us has been able to ride that wave there. They've looked at the UK, seen just how developed online sales are here in the UK. They've looked at the fact that, obviously, uh, there is a linguistic similarity between Australia and the UK. So, um, And they've looked at the fact that the UK is, well, the largest market in Europe. And my understanding is they will be adopting a digital-first strategy. So anybody who ha harbours thoughts of the Toys R Us operation being similar to what it was here in the UK a decade ago, it's going to bear no resemblance whatsoever. There are not going to be 20,000, 40,000 square foot stores in retail parks across the UK. That's not the plan. The plan is it will predominantly be a digital first operation with possibly one or two experiential stores. Now, we don't have, you're absolutely right, Chris, we don't have an American dream mile here. So the way it's been described to me is their initial thought is they would actually build an experiential store on the front of their DC, huh. which is a stroke of genius. <laughs> it obviously depends where the DC is cited. Um, it's certainly revolutionary, but... That is essentially going to be it. Fantastic. But that's one store. Have they got the clout then to challenge the, the established online players? Amazon is much stronger here in the UK than it is in Australia. We have a couple of other people like Very who are incredibly strong in the online market. We've got niche online players such as Bargain Max, Wicked Uncle, and, and many, many others. We have as well, of course, some really strong specialists here. The, the gap in the, U, the US market after Toys R Us left, nobody really filled it. Here we have Smith's, and Smith's is basically what everybody wanted Toys R Us to be 
but better. You have the entertainer, which is um, smaller, high street-based stores, but there's 170 of them here. Both Smiths and the entertainer have got superb websites reinforced and backed up by their physical presence across the UK. So the specialist market is well served here. And Toys R Us is unlikely, in truth, to grow the market. It's going to have to take its share from somebody. The question on everybody's lips here is, who is it going to take that share from? Toys R Us taught Amazon how to be in the toy business. Now I'm just wondering if they're about to teach Macy's how to be in the toy business, because there's nothing to stop Macy's from saying, this is cool. We don't, we don't need them. And we're rooting for them, but who are we rooting for? Is it the Toys R Us at Macy's or is it the Toys R Us at the mall? So I think it's a very confused situation. We're almost out of time here. So I wanted to ask each of you for one prediction where you're sitting today on December 15th, 2021. What do you think is going to be one of the biggest things impacting the industry in 2022? Richard, go ahead. You're up. I'm going to make a prediction that the spot market rate for containers is going to settle in at $7,000. All right, John, you're up. More uncertainty, but more opportunity. James? New challenges will emerge, but the toy industry is going to roll right over them just like they always do. And consumers are going to continue to embrace the joy of play. Well, I I agree with you, James. And I think that having looked at the, the toy industry really from 1903 right till today, the toy industry's weathered so many different things, wars, recessions, cancellations, hit products that kids are still going to want toys and we're still going to provide them. And we hope to continue providing you guys with great insights. I want to thank John Balch from Toy World UK and James Zahn from the Toy Book Toy Insider and the Pop Insider. You guys are awesome. I always love talking to you guys. And of course, my co-host and cohort, Richard Gottlieb. This is the Playground Podcast. And if you'd like to stay on top of the toy industry on a daily basis, please join us at the Toy Intelligencer. Thanks for listening. Have a happy new year, and we'll see you in 2022.